Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. What are the things that you trust, you know you can trust in? Hopefully we trust the food that we eat, that it's going to be safe and we won't end up with food poisoning. We trust the seatbelt that we click in as we drive the car, that should we slam on the brakes, it's going to hold us. I wonder what are the things that you trust. We trust the, the seat that we sit on, that it will hold our weight, whether you're online, at home, or in the room. We trust that the seat's going to hold us. However, Mike has said that they're on their last legs and they're 25 years old, so I hope the seat holds you today. But I wonder not just what the things we trust are, I wonder who are the people that we trust. We trust medical professionals, that they'll give us the right advice, and we trust them for procedures. Maybe you trust a a best friend that you confide in them and you can tell them a secret. Maybe you trust your children with the keys to your car. I am yet to enter that world. I'm not sure if I will trust them yet. Bear with me, time will tell. But there's things and people that we trust, yeah? And we trust them because they've proven trustworthy. We've either seen or experienced and seen others or ourselves had a situation we know it's proven trustworthy so we can trust. And as we continue in this series in the book of Isaiah, looking at our God as the sovereign one over all, I want to show us today that God has proven himself trustworthy that our God, the sovereign one, we can trust in him. He is proven trustworthy. Now, the book of Isaiah, when this is all written, let me give you a bit of background. What's happening is it's set in the second half of the 8th century BC. And the Neo-Assyrian Empire, this first of the world's superpowers taking over. The people of God have divided into two kingdoms. You have the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And Isaiah is the prophet, the voice of God, is speaking to the people in the south, the kingdom of Judah. And King Ahaz is king at this point. Now, there's a lot of political unrest in the ancient Near East, and there's a lot of fear and uncertainty. This neo-Assyrian empire, this superpower, trying to take over all other nations and trying to control them. And what's happening is a lot of the other nations are being forced to to pay monetary um, goods to them, but also then to force some of their people to go fight in their empires. And what would happen if there was any sign of disloyalty, the Assyrian Empire would come in, would take over, would actually control that nation and make them become part of theirs. And this was a big issue causing fear in other nations, rightly so, but also for the people of God, it was a theological issue. Because God's people were told to be set apart, to be a nation of their own, not to worship other gods or assimilate and become another empire. And so the threat of the Assyrians was very real. But at the same time, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, he starts to sense that there's a threat coming from Israel and Syria. He's afraid for his nation as this threat is coming. What can he do? How can he fight against them? And so in fear, what he starts to do is think, I'll negotiate with this mega power, the empire of Assyria, and I'll become, you know, in cahoots with them and they'll protect me from the other nations. This is where Isaiah steps in and says, King Ahaz, stop right there, don't. That is not going to be good for you. Trust in God, trust his plan for our nation. Don't try and trust in another nation and and make your own way to that. We can read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9, Isaiah says to Ahaz, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. 
He's saying to him, trust God. If you don't stand on him, it's not going to work out. It's going to end in disaster. Sadly, King Ahaz doesn't listen. In his fear, he takes it into his own hands and he makes an alliance with the Assyrian Empire. And what happens is, yes, they do defeat Syria and Israel for him. That threat no longer exists. But he basically exchanges one crisis for another. By actually making an alliance with Assyria, he ends up having to do things to appease them, giving over treasures from the temple in Jerusalem to the Assyrian Empire. He starts having to build idols to the gods Assyria would worship in the place of Judah, God's place. When we trust in something that is not God and we put that over and above God, there's a flow-on effect. There's other compromises that we end up making and it can potentially wreak havoc in our lives. In fact, Isaiah even suggests that what King Ahaz is doing by making an alliance with another nation, when we put our trust in something else over and above God, we're actually making a covenant with death. Let me read to you from Isaiah 28. It says, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast, we have entered into a covenant with death. With the realm of the dead, we've made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us, for we've made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. See, Isaiah would suggest that when we put our trust in something else that is not God above God, we're making a covenant with death. I wonder if we've ever considered what that looks like in our circumstances in our life. See, when we trust God, it results in life and hope and opportunity. But when we trust others above God, we're holding on to a lie, something that's false, that can't be secure. We're making a refuge in something that isn't guaranteed. God is guaranteed. God will remain consistent. He is trustworthy. But when we trust other things above God, our false securities, they get exposed. Because the things and the people we might trust in can't always be guaranteed. Whether that be our own success or our money or people or power, it's not guaranteed. And so therefore, our false securities get exposed. But what I want us to really notice in this moment is God's response. I want us to notice God's faithfulness. See, chapters 7 to 12 in Isaiah is all about how King Ahaz stuffed up and he did not do the right thing. He trusted in another nation, not in God. But what we see is that while King Ahaz sinned and made the wrong choice, that did not cancel God's promise. That did not cancel out God's covenant with his people. While King Ahaz trusted the wrong thing, God continued to step forward with hope and opportunity and love and restoration. And this is this cycle we see and we read through the book of Isaiah that Mike spoke about last week, that yes, there is judgment, but every time we see hope extended by our God, he doesn't annul or cancel his promise to his people. He says that there's more. We read in Isaiah 12, in that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. 
See, what we see here is despite human failings, God remains trustworthy. See, the people disobey him, King Ahaz disobeys him, but God continues to be trustworthy and hold his promise of hope for a better future. I wonder today where we maybe have failed, where we maybe have put trust in our own achievements, in other people, in other things over God, where we might have made a choice that's led to compromise, yet our God has stepped in and been faithful. I wonder where we know that in our own story, that he remains faithful despite us. See, that's where God, as the sovereign one, he stands in contrast to human beings. You think about in a human relationship when trust is broken, what happens? So often if a trust is broken, that's it. We say you've broken the friendship. We don't want to engage with that person anymore. Sometimes it's like this is over. There's irreparable damage at times in human relationships when trust is broken. God, as the sovereign one, is not human. We break his trust time and time again, yet he stands in contrast because he never writes us off. He never ends his deal. He always continues with his end of the bargain, which is love and grace and opportunity and willingness. He, as the sovereign one, stands in complete contrast. And so we can trust him because he is God. We read in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all break his trust. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We break his trust, yet he remains faithful. He remains trustworthy. I wonder where you need to be reminded of that today. It doesn't matter who you are, where you find yourself today, what circumstances you're going through, how many times we've broken his trust. He remains trustworthy. He remains faithful. The opportunity for hope and more is always there. I wonder if you need to be reminded of that today, that there is nothing he won't forgive or restore or start afresh. We trust him because of who he is. It's because he is God, because he is the sovereign one that we can trust him. He is faithful despite Ahaz failing. He is faithful despite me failing. He is faithful despite us failing. We can trust him because he is the sovereign one. He's constant. He's unchanging. He's proven trustworthy. But we see that the story continues. Ahaz moves on and the next king comes in, his son, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah gets this opportunity to choose to follow in his dad's footsteps or to choose to trust God. What's happened then at this point in time is Assyria are threatening to totally invade and take over Judah. And so King Hezekiah is the king of Judah. He has this moment where in fear and anxiety and uncertainty, he makes the right choice. And he chooses to say, I trust God. I trust God despite what's going on around me, despite the threat of the Assyrians, I'm gonna put my trust in God and the sovereign one. What we can read in the book of Isaiah is that God moves in the miraculous. The angel of the Lord appears and actually annihilates the opposition army in the night. And so when King Hezekiah wakes, there is no army to fight against. God moves in absolute power and might in the miraculous and annihilates an army in the night. He is a sovereign God. 
He can do anything. The God that moved there is the same God that moves today. And so we need to know he can move in power because he's sovereign. He has absolute control. I wonder if sometimes we miss that, the magnitude of the control that God has. I wonder if we really sit in that awareness. He annihilated an army in the middle of the night. He can do anything. We can trust him with some of the big, huge things that we are uncertain about. Our God is sovereign. He is over all things. And then Hezekiah, after having this moment of power where God moved, he could trust him, then things become quite personal because Hezekiah becomes ill. We read in Hezekiah 38, In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die and you will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. See, we see this man, Hezekiah, he trusted God in the battle, in the mighty, powerful situation. And then he trusted God again with his health, with the personal, saying, God, I trust you, please, I plead, be with me here. And God healed him. He added 15 years to his life. God moved in the personal situation that Hezekiah was facing. See, we can trust our God because he has all control. He has control over the powerful and he has control over the personal. There is nothing not under his control. And so we can know he's proven trustworthy because he actually has all control. I wonder if we live our life like that. I wonder if we walk day in, day out in the reality that our God has all control. Do we trust him with everything? I wonder if we trust him to fight our battles. He fought the battle for Hezekiah. Maybe our battles look a little different, but what are the the emotional, the spiritual, the physical battles that we are confronted with? Do we trust the sovereign one to fight our battles, to know what's actually best for us? Do we trust him with what we come up against that's difficult and hard and uncertain? Because we see here and we have a God who is in control of everything. I wonder if we will be people that trust him with the powerful. Do we pray prayers, big faith-filled prayers that our God can move in power and might? Do we pray for nations to be healed? Do we pray for people to come to know him as Lord and Savior? Do we pray for COVID to be eradicated? This is the powerful sovereign God we have. Do we actually come before him and ask him to move, trusting that he is that powerful? But do we also bring before him the personal? Do we trust him with the stuff that is dear to our heart, our own families, our needs? Do we trust him with the family we long for, the the spouse or the children? Do we trust him with our health, with our finances? Because this is what we see in this story is our God has all control. The question is, will we be people who trust him with the powerful 
and the personal. It's an opportunity we have to trust in a God that has all control. I wonder if you've seen the movie Aladdin. I'm a bit of a fan of Disney movies. And in the movie Aladdin, there's this iconic moment where Jasmine and Aladdin are running through the marketplace and the guards are chasing after them and they get kind of backed into this corner where they're stuck and the only way out is to jump. And Aladdin reaches out his hand to Jasmine and he says, do you trust me? This iconic Aladdin moment, do you trust me? And as I've been sitting in this passage and this idea that God can be trusted, I have this picture on my heart today and I believe God is doing exactly that, reaching out a hand to each one of us today and simply saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? That our God who has proven trustworthy would reach out his hand to say, will you trust me with the powerful, with the personal? Do you trust me? It's our choice how we respond to the invitation that he gives us. Sadly, Hezekiah doesn't finish well. Sadly, he's not consistent in trusting God. In fact, his pride gets in the way. So what happens, we see that he is healed and he gets this opportunity when he interacts with the ambassador from Babylon. See, the ambassador sends him gifts and letters to celebrate that he's well, and he comes to visit. And when the ambassador comes, Hezekiah has this wonderful open door to say, I trusted God and he healed me. My God is the one true God, the sovereign one, to declare God's goodness. And what does he do? He parades his own wealth. He says, look at my castle, look at my kingdom, look at my wealth, look at what I've done. In a moment of pride, instead of continuing to trust God, he starts to trust in his own achievements and his own wealth. Sadly, he didn't hold on with a consistent manner of trusting God. And we read in Isaiah 39, the response to that. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you will be taken away and they'll become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. I really wanted our hero to end well. I'm so disappointed in him. We see this moment where his pride causes him not to make God look good and trust in him, but trust in himself. And then we also see this moment where his selfishness means that he's like, the word of the Lord's fine because the judgment will come after I'm gone. The next generation gets it. It's so disappointing to see that he's no longer trusting and following God, but pride and selfishness got in the way. And I just want to remind us that trust is not a moment in time. Trust is not an event where we just, you know, we'll trust there and there. Trust needs to be a way of life. When we trust in God, it needs to become how we live our life, who we are, not an add-on extra, but everything we are needs to be about trusting God. Because when we say, God, I don't trust you, effectively we're saying, God, you're not enough. You're not quite sovereign. You're not quite God. I can't trust you with this because you're not in control. And so 
in a sense, we're sinning when we don't trust God with everything. We are sinning because we're saying, he's not God. But rather than put him in a box that we form that says what we think the limitations on him are, we are invited into a relationship where we get to day in, day out, trust a God who's proven trustworthy, who is God, who is the sovereign one, who is over all. That's the invitation we have to trust him on a daily basis. And I love how Isaiah puts this because trusting God as a way of life, it's not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just a cerebral part, you know, that says, I I believe it, I've thought it. It's actually who we are and how we live our life. Isaiah 26 says, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. Verse 8 is so beautiful when it says, Walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. This is what it looks like to make trust a way of life. Walking and waiting. Walking with the Lord, being present with Him, engaging with Him, having a relationship with Him day in, day out, listening to Him, walking with our God. And waiting, waiting for His wisdom, for His words, for His voice to speak, to not get ahead of him, but be obedient. That's what it looks like. And waiting isn't just checking out and being like, okay, God, I'll wait and let you do what you'll do with my life. We get to participate with him. This theologian Oswald calls it, he says, waiting, it is doing what you know is right while refusing to run ahead of God to try to solve your problems for yourself. If we're going to be a people that make trusting God a way of life. It's walking and waiting with him. It's walking and waiting, being aware, being present, not running ahead, but allowing him to lead and speak to us. Like Mike said last week, it's being a yes person for God. It's having a posture that says, God, I'm gonna respond to you day in, day out, no matter where you place me and trust you, walk and wait with you. Will we be people like that? It's been interesting as I've been sitting in this passage and this this chapters in Isaiah to actually take the time to reflect on our prayer and fasting season we had at the beginning of the year. I look back on some of the threads that came through and do you know that over 40% of the cards that we wrote, the church, that as we listened to God, over 40% had words around trust, dependence, obedience, that God is calling us to trust him. It's clear that God is speaking to us. He's speaking through us. He wants us to respond corporately as a church, for Clovey to be a church where we trust God no matter what. We follow him no matter what. And individually, there's a call that God is saying, will we be people who have a posture wherever we're placed, whatever it looks like in our workplaces, our homes, our families, to trust God? God's speaking. Are we listening? Are we responding? This stool I have here, I can look at it and I can tell you I know it will take my weight. I know I can trust this stool with my weight because I've seen it. I've seen this happen. I've seen other people 
trust the stool with my weight, their weight, same weight as mine. I can trust that it will hold my weight. In fact, I've sat on it in the past. In the past, I've used it and it's held my weight. I can trust it. But it's not until I actively choose to sit on the stool and trust it with my weight that my circumstance changes. Same thing with God. We can know that He can be trusted. We can see others trust Him. We can even have had a time in the past where we trusted Him. But it's not until we actively trust Him with the weight of our lives that our circumstances change. That's the challenge to each one of us, to me included, not to let it just be, yep, tick, okay, I've got to trust God, but to actively step in, to give Him the weight of our lives, to be people who walk and wait with the Lord day in, day out, to be yes people for God. That's what I wanna be. That's what I wanna see God's church here at Clovey be. The choice is ours. God is saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Let's pray.